you're by yourself and you fall into this deep pit. And you're in this pit uh, and you're just stuck there. And, and you try and claw your way out and you try and climb your way out. And as hard as you try, you can only get almost out, almost free. Uh, but every time you almost get to the edge, either your foot or your hand slips and you're, you're back in the bottom. And as you've been fighting for some time, you get weaker and you realize that the odds of you getting out are getting lower and lower uh, as you go through this. Uh, and so now you, here you are in this pit with a loss of hope that you're ever going to get out. And then all of a sudden, someone approaches and they've got a rope with them. And, and as you, they approach and you kind of somehow, you know, you're watching this. Uh, the person is approaching with a rope. And the question is, is that good news or bad news? Is it good news or bad news that this person is approaching with a rope? I think our first instincts are to, to say, that's great news. All this person has to do is take the rope, lower it down, and that's going to be enough for you to be able to get it and to get out of the pit that you're in and gain freedom. But of course, the idea that it's good news is dependent on one assumption, that that person holding the rope is good. Because if the person holding the rope is a villain in this story, and they show up and they now have a victim, the rope can actually be used to bind you and to ensure that there is forever no longer any hope of you ever getting out. You are now bound and in the pit. And once you are bound and in the pit, there is no hope that you will ever be free again. And you know, often in our lives, after we commit sins or make our biggest mistakes or we do things that we should not have done, we find ourselves in the pit. We find ourselves in the pit where we feel terrible about the mistakes we've made and the things that we've done, and we're embarrassed and we feel like failures. We're, we're overwhelmed by how people must be, be looking at us and how we may have hurt God or others by our wrong actions. And, and we're in the pit. We wallow in the misery of that moment, and somebody walks up with a rope. And when it's us and we're in the pit because of the mistakes we've made, and someone walks up with the rope, there's two choices. Choice number one is that God is walking up with the rope, and God is good. And God is always ready to put the rope down into the pit and lift us up out of it so that we might be restored and repaired and reunited with him and now in his presence and not still stuck in the pit. The rope that God uses to pull us out of the pit is guilt. It's guilt, and it feels bad, and we don't like it. But that rope in God's hand is intended to restore and repair and rebuild us so that we can come back to a right relationship with him and then start repairing the relationships with others that we've hurt during uh, the things we've been doing wrong. Guilt functions to do right things to get us better, even though it feels bad. But if it's Satan that shows up with the same rope, it feels similar. It still feels like we've disappointed people, and it feels like we're a failure. Uh, but when Satan has the rope, he doesn't lower it to us to pull us out with guilt. What Satan does is he crawls down and he ties us up as tight as he can with something that is so very similar to guilt. He binds us with shame. 
And once you're bound with shame, it's no longer intended to bring you to repentance and restoration. It feels so similar. It has so many of the same symptoms of guilt, except that guilt in God's hand restores and shame in Satan's hands entraps. And it isolates and it leaves us alone. And so once Satan has you bound up with shame, you think that you're worthless and you don't deserve to get out of the pit. You come to believe uh, that you're alone and no one can ever find you in the dark place where you have now gone to be. Even when you're in the company of others, you feel like you don't belong there with them. You feel unworthy that you're wasting space on earth and that you don't deserve to get out and you don't want to call to others to help you out. You just get stuck. And the rope is the same in the hands of the rescuer or the hands of the villain. And the tool is the same in God's hand or Satan's hand. But the way that they wield it in our lives produces an entirely different result. And so here's the question. If you are experiencing the symptoms of guilt or shame, how do you know which one it is that you're experiencing? Because both of them make you feel uh, embarrassed about what you've done. Most of, but both of them make you feel uh, isolated. Both of them make you feel regret and remorse. Both of them make you feel terrible about the things that you've done or not done. So how do you know whether it's uh, the feeling that you have comes from God or comes from Satan? And the answer is this, does it bring freedom or does it bring entrapment? Because if the feeling that you have is pulling you towards freedom, then it's of God. But if the feeling that you have as a result of being in the pit because of a mistake you've made makes you feel entrapped, then that is Satan wielding something that should be good to entrap you instead. And you ask yourself, so, so does it lead towards freedom or entrapment? And the next question is this, does it bring you more into the presence of God or does it push you farther from the presence of God? Because guilt is always intended to restore and bring us back to where God is and to be back in God's presence. And so if you find that when you are struck with these feelings of regret and remorse and you cannot pray because you cannot be in front of God in this moment, you're in shame. But if you can go to God and talk to him about it, and, and it doesn't mean that you're feeling good about it, but you're at least able to be in God's presence in prayer, talking to him about the things that are, are, you're struggling with, and as you're trying to work through this, that's guilt. And the difference means everything to the person who's trying to get out of the pit. Because we can't quite do it ourselves, and, and, and Satan knows how to trap us, and we need to know how to turn back to God and not allow ourselves to be isolated in these moments of, of shame. And it's not just kind of the, the illustration, and it's not just Scripture that teaches this. The reality is that this comes up in behavioral studies uh, where their counselors try and meet with people and help people and think about guilt and shame and how it functions uh, to, to get us in all kinds of trouble in our lives. And I want to kind of show you through some of how behavioral studies looks at it. In behavioral studies, there's three kinds of guilt and shame. There's unhealthy uh, guilt. And unhealthy guilt is this. It's where you feel guilty for something that's not morally wrong, but where you hold yourself to such high standards in some areas of your life uh, that you feel guilty about it. Um, so 
healthy guilt makes you feel bad about things that are morally wrong that you ought not have done and you should stop doing in the future and you might have to repair and restore some stuff to get back where you need to be. That's healthy guilt. Unhealthy guilt is uh, I feel guilty that I didn't reach my unattainable standards for myself and in my life. I'm a perfectionist and I just am, I feel guilty all the time that I'm not able to achieve my own standards of perfection. Like I'm not going to talk about that one today, um, but if that's something you really struggle with, stop it. Okay, there you go. Uh, that's the message on that one. We're going to talk about the other two for the rest of the lesson. Uh, healthy guilt and shame. Healthy guilt and shame. And I want to take you through some of how experts think about helpful guilt and shame. The definition of guilt is a feeling of discomfort about something that we've done wrong. And this is morally wrong or that has hurt somebody else. Shame is an intensely painful feeling of being fundamentally flawed based on who we are or what we've done. So one is about a wrong action that you can apologize for, repent of, and, and repair. The other one is about you being broken as a result of something you've done or something you believe about yourself that is incorrect. An example of this, of guilt, if you hit someone while driving drunk and you feel guilty, that is the right response that should lead you to trying to make things right. Uh, towards being, taking responsibility for your actions and making better behavioral choices in the future. Shame is, Jamie feels like a worthless person who is wasting space in the world. Both of those can come from the same actions. And in the beginning, they can feel very similar, but one leads towards growth and the other leads towards death. That's the difference between guilt and shame. When it develops, and this is really interesting to me, Shame develops as early as 15 months old. Shame can exist in babies. And this is part of the reason that shame is more deeply wired into our brain and it's harder for us to reverse. It's one of the first things we learn as babies is whether to have confidence or whether to have shame. And yet guilt uh, is something that we learn as early as age three through six. Uh, developmentally, guilt is a more mature emotion than shame. As a parent, it struck me how uh, if you learn this between the age of three and six, as a parent, if you've ever gotten really mad at your two-year-old that they didn't feel like they meant it when they apologized, uh, it's because developmentally they can't yet. They have not actually obtained the mature emotional response of feeling guilt for their actions. It doesn't mean you don't ask them to fake it. You're teaching and modeling behaviors that will help them to form these mental and kind of spiritual muscles as they grow older. Um, but don't be mad that they don't know how to do it yet. But you know that you can make a two-year-old feel shame. I think many parents in our worst moments have felt that moment that we've done that and we want it back. We want to teach our kids to feel guilt, but we don't want them to be stuck in, in shame. And, and they develop differently. And, and it's important that we know that shame is our automatic, more base instinct. And so it takes intentionality and work to move beyond that. Guilt is the more mature emotional response. And, and so when we mess up and we're in the pit, if left to our most base human instincts, we will choose to stay there rather than make things right and take responsibility and restore broken relationships. That's just how we're wired. It's how we're wired. And so we need to know this so that we don't get stuck down there just because we're unwilling to do the more mature thing of doing things the right way. 
We know that the outcomes are different, that guilt has a potentially positive outcome, that healthy guilt allows us to seek forgiveness and correct a wrong and can lead to healing, whereas shame, on the other hand, is negative. Shame causes us to fear rejection, leading to disconnectedness and avoiding what shames us. It can also lead to depression and substance abuse because we're trying to do anything we can to check out of what causes us to deal with the shame. We stay isolated rather than engaging with others. The resolution of guilt is that guilt resolves as we repair the damage we caused. So as you start to take the steps to repair and fix what went wrong, guilt is reduced over time. It's not permanent baggage. Shame, the longer you hold it, the more it weighs. The outcome is radically different depending on which one of these two ropes is being used in your life. How do you work with someone who is is struggling with guilt? You help them to face bad behaviors, take responsibility, seek forgiveness from others, change behaviors and attitudes that cause them, reclaim wholeness, and heal broken relationships. How do you help someone that's dealing with shame? It's a totally different thing because the shame has entrapped them, and so something has to intervene in their life to set them free from what is binding them. They have to find the ability to have self-compassion, to reduce the shame and the self-criticism and the proof of inadequacy. They've been in the pit for so long convincing themselves that they're not worthy to get out that you have to convince them that they're a kind of person who deserves to be set free. Shame has bound them for so long they've lost their muscles of freedom and repair. You have to actively get people stuck in shame to pursue relationships, to nurture connections and their sense of belonging. This is a behavioral studies thing. You'll you'll see the note uh, up on the screen. We're going to be dealing with this side of shame next week. We're going to be dealing with this side of what God wants you to know if you're stuck in the pit of shame and you need to break out of those ropes and take God's rope of guilt and start getting out and getting restored and repaired. Next week, we're going to talk about how God wants us to begin changing our understanding of both God and Jesus and ourselves in order to get out of the pit. Um, But for now, just... Look forward to that with, with anticipation. Today I want to look at, at this, why we're feeling guilt. Why do we feel guilt when we do wrong things? Well, the reason we feel it is because God gave us this inner response as medicine for our wrong actions to help fix us and cure us. Guilt is medicine. It helps us to diagnose the problems. It helps us to become aware that there is a problem. It helps us become aware of the need to do something about it. Uh, guilt is kind of the fever of the sin cycle, right? You get a fever, not really. No one's ever sick of a fever. The fever is a result of their sickness that triggers their body into action to begin healing. Uh, that's how guilt works. It's the fever of your spiritual life. If you suddenly have guilt, you need to figure out why you have it, how to get rid of it, how to treat the symptoms of your sin problem so you can get back to healthy. Why then do we have shame? It's because Satan took that good thing God gave us, and like so many other things, Satan took a good and beautiful thing of God, and he corrupted it, and he broke it, and he used it to hurt us and bring us death instead of life. But they, they're the same rope. 
They are the same tool. The difference is just which one of them is wielding it in your life. If God is wielding it, it's healthy medicinal guilt. If Satan is wielding it, it is death-giving, entrapment-producing shame. They they can feel very similar, but it's all about where they push you. Do they push you out of the pit towards freedom or towards entrapment? Do they push you into God's presence or farther from God? That's how you know which one you're stuck with. And and we see this in in Scripture, the passage that was read earlier in Genesis chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles, turn over to Genesis 3. Starting in verse 6, it says this. This is shortly after Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit in the center of the garden that they were told not to eat because the serpent was crafty and tempted them into doing all of that. And so in verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. We've all lived this moment. Not exactly. Most of us haven't found ourselves hiding among the trees um, or the bushes, as as often is is quoted. Um, But we've been in the place where we've done something wrong, And especially when it's secret sin and we think no one else knows, but we know the reality is that God knows what we've done. And he knows where we are, but we cannot help but try to hide from God. We cannot help but when we are aware that it is the time in our our daily routine or the time of our, our life that we go to God in prayer, that we're going to avoid prayer that day because we don't want God to see us with all this sin on us. You see, if Adam and Eve, in this moment, after they had eaten the fruit of the tree that they were not supposed to eat from and realized that they were naked, if they had received the rope of guilt, what would have happened is God would have come into the garden and said, Adam and Eve, what's going on? Something seems to be bothering you. And they would have said, God, we've been waiting to talk to you. We've been waiting to tell you that we've made a mistake. We've done the thing that we ought not to have done, and we know now things we ought not to know And so we wanted to come to you ourselves and apologize. We wanted to come to you and tell you what we did. We wanted to confess what we had done to you honestly and openly. We wanted to apologize to you. We wanted to start making things right. And we know that there's going to be consequences for our actions. We know that there there are going to be real things that will happen in our lives as a result of what we've done, and we understand that. But it's worth going through the consequences if it means we can stay in a right relationship with you. But anyone who's ever been a parent knows what happened instead of that. God came down and said, hey, who did this? And everyone went, not me. They did. They started it. You start, you're the one that put her down here with me. I didn't mean to do that. And the snake and the um, what? We didn't do anything. You ever have that moment when you realize your kids have done something wrong and they're hiding in the house? That'll make you crazy. 
It's a great comfort to me to know that in my worst parenting moments that God's been here too. This is one of those moments for God, and he calls them out because they're stuck in shame. They're stuck in shame, and they realize that they've done something wrong, and they don't want to get caught, and they don't know how to deal with it, and they don't want to face the consequences, and they're willing to blame anybody and everybody else to get out of it. But what they know in the moment is that their first instinct is to isolate themselves and hide from God, to choose entrapment and death and separation from God rather than owning up and fessing up and fixing their problems. But if you look at what God does, as soon as he shows up and he finds them, he immediately goes to the, doing the work of getting things back where they're supposed to be. He starts telling them about the consequences that they will have to face. He starts telling them about uh, the real results of their actions and what it's going to mean for their future. It, he doesn't just come in and say, ah, don't worry about it. I'll just put a bigger fence around the tree and next time you won't be able to get through it. He doesn't do that. What he does is he says, yeah, there's going to be consequences for what you've done. But then he immediately starts bringing grace and reparation, uh, repairing into this moment. He starts fixing what they broke. He gives them clothes to put on so that they can walk with more confidence. He starts giving them a path forward into new relationship. And he says, the relationship's not going to be what it used to be, but I'm not just throwing you away. We're going to come up with a new way of being you're, you're going to still be people that worship me, and I'm still going to be your God. It's just not going to be the way that it was before. But it will someday be again. Even in the midst of all of these consequences, he tells Eve, you will bear a seed that will come through you that will squash the serpent. And God already has in mind the plan of salvation to bring humans back into a right relationship with him. Guilt is already, in Genesis chapter 3, repairing what people have broken. They would have chosen shame. Remember, that's our most base instinct. We learn it by the time we're 15 months old. Adam and Eve have learned it by the third chapter of Scripture. It's, it's, it's just wired into us somehow. But God doesn't want us to stay there. And so he lowers the rope into the pit, and he starts to do the work of pulling us out so that we can again be with him. In the Old Testament, it's this whole question about how does God live with his people and get his people to live with God. In the Gospels, we get the real answer that God started giving the answer to in Genesis chapter 3. That answer, of course, is Jesus crucified resurrected Son of God, Messiah. Amen. And Jesus comes to give us better tools to deal with guilt, this Holy Spirit which works to convict us and lead us towards repentance, and it internalizes what began in Genesis chapter 3. And he deals with the shame by wiping away sin, and it deals with the question of separation from God by letting God dwell in us and promising we get to live with God forever and eternity. God is dealing with all the problems that we have caused by getting in the pit. He's trying to give us the rope to pull us back out. So Jesus embodies this in one story in John chapter 8. Embodies what this looks like what shame and guilt look like in the ministry of Jesus. In John chapter 8, starting in verse 2. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, 
Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bends down and starts to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with a woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. A lot of times when people tell this story, they forget the last line. Jesus does not just say, then I don't condemn you, so just go and do as you were. Uh, Jesus says, I don't condemn you or judge you, but stop sinning and live a better restored life. It's not just saying, uh, then, then, you know, fine, stay in the pit. Jesus is doing the work of using uh, the guilt she's experiencing in this moment, and you know she was experiencing guilt, to get her to a better place. But the crowd doesn't start there. The crowd starts with shame. The crowd starts by coming in and, and saying they've entrapped her, and they are ready to uh, convict her, and they are ready to kill her. The crowd is only interested in this woman's shaming, and they're interested in doing it in hopes that they can actually shame Jesus too, and Jesus doesn't want a part of any of that. And so where the crowd brings shame and entrapment and conviction and death, Jesus responds with guilt, which seems harsh, doesn't it, to say that Jesus made her feel guilty because we're so wired to think that guilt is a bad thing. It's medicinal. This woman has a problem that she and another man caused in her life and in the lives of others that cared about them. And she needs to quit doing what she's doing wrong. That's just true. But in this moment where the crowd wants to convict her with shame and bring death to her, Jesus responds with guilt, which brings life. And not just the life that she had yesterday, a life that she could, could live that is her potential best life. A life where Jesus lowers the rope of guilt, pulls her out of the pit, begins to help her deal with the consequences, and live a life where she's no longer committing the sin that got her down there in the first place. The story is really unfinished. Jesus tells her, go now and leave your life of sin. And what we don't get to hear is how she goes and ends things with this person she's been committing adultery with, or begins to repair the relationship with her spouse, putting things back together that have been very, very broken. We don't know how that happened, but she has to now begin doing the work of repairing what sin has broken, the work of amending, uh, of, of mending, mending her relationship with God and with others. And that's what guilt is intended to do, is to prompt us into action in doing that when we need to do it. And if you're ever struck with guilt, 
And you're like, I just don't want to do the work. I just don't want to do the work. I choose to just sit in the guilt. You have to know that you're doing two things. One is you're telling God, I don't want your help. I'll just stay down here in this pit. And two, you're telling Satan, hey, I'm down here and ready. Whenever you're ready to come bind me and leave me here trapped and headed towards death, I'm fine with it. I'm ready when you are. That's how the rope works. The rope is always there once you're in the pit. You have to choose whose hands you want to put it in. That's the challenge and the invitation. Listen, I've got to tell you, if you or someone you know is stuck reliving the worst decision they've made in their life over and over and over again, and we know people that are stuck in this, you have to tell them this. If they're in the pit and they're refusing to get out, or maybe they've been there so long that they've forgotten what freedom is like, you have to share this sermon with them. And there's links you can send it to them, or you can go tell them yourselves. You can go tell them what you've learned today. But if you leave here today knowing somebody that is stuck in this shame pit, that is bound in shame and is entrapped and can't find their way out, and if you're just fine leaving them there, then you're no better than the Levite and the priest who walked by the guy that was beat up on the side of the road. If you know someone that is stuck in shame, it is your responsibility as a follower of Jesus Christ to go help extend God's rope to them and get them out of the pit and help them do the work of getting healed. As much as the Samaritan had to come alongside this sick guy and foot some of the bill to get him physically healthy, we have an obligation as Jesus' people to come alongside those people who are spiritually beat up and help foot the bill a little bit to get them where they need to be to get out of the pit and to learn how to live as free people again. And in terms of how to get through that and change your thinking and understanding, we're going to really get into that next week. We're going to really have to evaluate how God sees people that are trapped in shame so that we can see ourselves rightly and begin to get out. But if you or someone have been bound by shame for so long that you don't even know how to give the guilt rope to God anymore... You don't even think you're worth getting out. You think you're getting what you deserve, that you belong in your secret, isolated sin pit by yourself for the rest of your life. You've got to make sure you're here next week. You've got to make sure that you come here, that you're made in God's image, that Jesus Christ thinks you are worthy of dying for, and that, that you need to be able to learn what freedom feels like and looks like and live into the life that God is calling you to be a part of. We're going to next week get into this and expose Satan's lies and re- reclaim God's truths that will get us out of shame, back into guilt, so that we can get restored and set free and back in God's presence. This morning, if you're here and you're listening to this and you need to respond to the gospel, the message that Jesus Christ died on the cross and was resurrected so that all sin might be defeated, that evil can be totally struck down and that anyone can be fully restored as a child of God, and you need that, or if you need to respond in any other way, please come forward this morning as we stand and worship together.